I think um, I think one of the things that has come home to our nation this week is that we are not eternal and immortal in these fleshly bodies. And uh, I caught uh, Boris Johnson being interviewed and he said he always assumed that the Queen was eternal, like it, it's kind of, it would never happen. And so it's a shock. It's a, it's a shock that affects people on all different levels. But what it, I think the, the biggest thing it's, it does is remind us of our own mortality. And as believers, we don't have a, a time span that ends at 80 or 90 or 96 years or whatever. We have an eternal time span. But often we forget that and we manage our whole lives as if they stop when we die physically from this body, this worn out body that, that we eventually end up with. And the disciples uh, were talking to Jesus about this. And they asked him when he would come back and what would happen when he came back. And in response to that, Jesus told three parables. And I'm going to concentrate this morning on the middle of those parables. Because I think we, we realize that some of the words spoken in this parable will actually be spoken over the Queen when she's, well, probably already have been. So let's, I'm, I'm going to Matthew chapter 25. Starting at verse 14. So this is the second thing that Jesus is answering. And remember, he's, a, he's answering, what's the consequences? What's going to happen when you come back, Jesus? And it says, Jesus told them these parables. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you gave me five. Look, I've given five more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant you were faithful over a few things so now i will make you ruler over many things enter into the joy or the happiness of your lord 
He'd received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered me the two talents. Look, I've gained two more besides them. And the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things, enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who came, who would receive one talent, said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, at least I'd have received some interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10. For to everyone who has more will be given and he, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a really sobering story. If you're the guy with the one talent who did nothing with it. And the thing is, we, we often don't talk about these things that Jesus says because they're, they're uncomfortable. And we don't like the ending of this one. So sometimes we, we'll talk about the parable but we'll miss the ending and Jesus is telling us this he's telling his disciples this not because he wants them to have that ending but because he want he doesn't want them to have that ending the purpose of what Jesus tells us is so we avoid the mistakes he knows we can make that's why he tells us these things but what's really clear from this is that how we live now has eternal consequences and has eternal rewards. And I want to be on the side of the eternal rewards. You see, everyone who believes in Jesus and gives their life to him and follows him as Lord goes to heaven. But what Jesus is saying is what did you do with that salvation I gave you? Because for many of us, we don't pick up that salvation, take hold of it, run with it and live it. And there are some who are deceived thinking that they're okay and never use what Jesus put on the table for them and end up finding that they made the wrong call. I want to step back from that a moment. You see, the way the Word speaks to us and the way the Holy Spirit speaks to us is He speaks by direct revelation. 
This isn't about just reading a story or hearing a parable that we talk about to kids. It's actually meant to change our lives. It's meant to change the way we live. So here's the thing. With revelation comes responsibility to live in the light of that revelation. And, and so when we... Uh, at church and when we go to meetings and when we go to conferences or we listen to speakers or whatever and a light bulb goes on and you think oh my goodness that's the holy spirit speaking to me where i'm sat little old me speaking to me then with that light bulb comes the responsibility to live in the light of what you've just seen so with revelation comes responsibility and this parable talks about how one man didn't take responsibility for the revelation he'd received what the man what what the lord had asked him to do and the reason i'll give you the answer up front the reason he he gets it wrong is firstly he doesn't understand who god is He's got a different God. He, he, he's got a God, and he thinks it's the right God, but actually, it's just a God that he's made in his image. So he doesn't understand who God is, and secondly, he's not too concerned with what God wants. He's concerned with himself. And self is the biggest barrier we have to God, being able to move and live in our life. If we don't know who God is, then when he reveals to us and talks to us about what he would, wants for our life, his purpose for our life, his destiny for our life, if we don't really know who he is, if we don't know him, we will misinterpret that. And we'll, because self is involved, we'll come up with all sorts of excuses, like, well, he didn't really mean it like that. He meant it like this. Or, I can't do that. That's too difficult for me. Or, I haven't got the time to do that. And all, all the sort of things we do. Or, I'll do that when this bit of my life's sorted out. I'll obey him when it's easy to obey. I'll serve him when it's easy to serve. I'll give when it doesn't cost me to give. And so we, we have these things that if we, if we don't know who God is, we'll make those decisions and those judgment calls and postpone or miss the destiny that he has for us. Now, let, that, that's kind of a, a bit of an unpacking. Now, let me tell you, let me just go through this parable so we understand what he's saying and, and we don't make any mistaken things from just what I've already said. So, starting right at the beginning, this man, this Lord, calls his servants to him 
And he says, I'm going to give you all my goods. I'm going to split them between you. Now, that's really important. Because he's not asking you to do things that he hasn't already provided for. And he's not asking you to live your life in your own strength. He's asking you to live your life from his strength and his ability and his power. And so God's intention is not to take from you. You know, sometimes we, we'll say things like, oh, God wants too much. God gave everything for you. And he continues to give everything for you. It's not he's asking too much. It's that we don't understand God. You see, God's intention in asking us to do things and, and entrusting us to do things and giving us that purpose and giving us that destiny, God's intention is for him to bless us. Because he gives his goods to us. He gives his talents to us. He gives his abilities to us. So let's get clear at the start. The Lord's intention in this was to bless those guys. His intention was to, that they should be trained in such a way that the blessing grew and grew. That's his intention. So God starts with an intention which is to bless. Now, some of us have a problem with that. And we would have a problem with that, just like if we were one of these guys in this story, unless we were the guy that got the five talents. Because one gets five, one gets two, one gets one. Why don't they all get five? Or just all get two and he can keep some. Why do they get different talents? And, and there starts our problem. Because we start to judge God. We call into question his judgment when our tiny little peanut rings can't comprehend what he's about. Because we somehow switch a God who's set out to bless us into a God who's answerable to our judgment calls. And we say, well, that's not fair, is it? Like, you know... That person over there, they just got like this amazing athleticism, and here am I, and I'm like old and pudgy, and all. And, and we, oh, that person's got that wealth, and I've got only a little bit, or they've got a nicer car than me, or they're just more talented than me, or they can talk better than me. And, and, and we start comparing. I want you to understand something. Comparison is the playground of the devil. It's where he'll start to pull you down and it's where he'll start to get you to question God. And here's the thing. We all have talent. But when we want somebody else's talents instead of ours, then we get the problem. You know, this might not mean a lot to some of you younger ones, but I, I remember like when we were, Cheryl and I were younger Christians, Cheryl used to go, if only I could be like Joyce Meyer. 
No, Cheryl needs to be the best Cheryl. There only is one Joyce Meyer. There only is one Heidi Baker. There only is one. And there's one Cheryl. And there's one Joyce. And there's one Roger. And there's one Penny. And there's one Stephen. We, we, we are unique. So we don't get into comparison. It's because comparison and writing... And because what tends to happen with comparison is we write ourselves off. We count ourselves out of the program. Out of... And, and in doing so, we count ourselves out of the blessing. You see, in a sense, all of us are blessed, aren't we? Not, I, don't, I don't mean like we're blessed because the Bible tells us that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And we go, because there's some people think that the answer to every question you ask them, how are you doing? They go, I'm blessed. And you go, no, you're not, you're ill. I can really see you're ill. I'm blessed. And, and somehow we think it's magic that we, we, if we keep saying we're blessed, it'll make it happen. The best way to be blessed is you use the blessing you've already given for the purposes that God gave you it. And so we, we have blessings. You know, you say, well, I don't have a blessing. Well, you know, I don't have this. Well, we have roofs over our head. As far as I can tell, there's nobody dead in here. I'm just having a look, just checking. There's, you know, we're alive. We have food. We have coffee. If you don't have food, take the biscuits. If you haven't got coffee, get the coffee. You know, this, we, we have clothes. I've definitely checked. There's, there's nobody without clothes. We've all got clothes. But we compare with the society we live in and conclude that we aren't blessed. Here's, here's the thing, you know, this might shock you. It shocked me when I thought about it. In comparison to the world, the poorest people in this country are immensely wealthy. Compared to previous generations, we are the richest generation that has ever lived. And yet when we read Jesus talking to the rich young man, we automatically count ourselves out. But Jesus would have account, counted every single one of us in terms of the global population as the rich young man. So we come from this position where we see ourselves as poor because we can always find somebody richer. And therefore, we don't hear Jesus when he talks to the rich young man. And there's all, there's some of you still sat there and you're going, well, you know, Mark, you don't understand how difficult it is. I do understand how difficult it is. I'm saying, compared to globally, this is rich. And that's, that's God's general blessing. We have all these things. But then there's a specific blessing that God gives each of us. So we have specific blessings. We have specific talents. We have specific callings, specific destinies, specific purposes. And when we get in that comparison thing, those specific blessings often don't seem fair. But I don't, I don't know. I've said this before, so perhaps you do know, but... When they talked about talents, they were talking about money. Like money, real money. 
Now, the guy that got the one talent, he was the hard done by one, wasn't he? Yeah, would you say, compared to the others? He got the short straw. Now, a ta that talent, in current money terms, so if you had a talent in your bank account right now, you would have the equivalent of £1 million in your bank account. Are you blessed? If I, if I said to you, there's £1 million in your bank account, I've just given you it, would you feel blessed? Yeah. Yes? Yeah. This guy feels hard done to. Because he hasn't got the £5 million. Can you see the problem? So Jesus outrageously, the Lord outrageously blessed each of them. It's not that the, the one at the bottom had nothing. He had the equivalent of a million pounds. And he goes and buries it. I have to say, if somebody gives me a million pounds today, you can rest assured, I'm not burying it. I'm just, you know, I've got better things to do than bury it. I'd, actually, I don't, I don't know how you would bury money these days because it doesn't exist, does it? It's, I'll, I'll bury my, my electronic bank statement on my phone. I mean... It just doesn't have the same thing, but you can get the picture, can't you? Once we had money, you know, when people used to take money. So the application of this is that we are all massively blessed. And we all have specific blessings, specific talent, specific gifting, specific things that God's called us to do. And we, and we can look around and say, well, you know, I haven't got that. They, they, that person's got that. Here's slightly more of the point. Jesus is talking in kingdom terms. So he's actually talking in terms of ability to live your life in a way that the kingdom prospers. And as a result, you prosper. You, 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 in, you get the blessings of seeing the Holy Spirit worked through you to bring about the kingdom of Jesus. When you get to verse 16 and 17, it's really interesting because the one who's got five talents, in my version, it doesn't say it so clearly. It says, It says he went and traded. The, the, the actual word is he immediately went and traded. He didn't waste any time with doing what Jesus had asked him to do. This is kind of why some of us have got in problems with our Christian life. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit, he's given us the ability to live for the kingdom, to change, to, to be changed. And he's given us the ability to affect lives and be a blessing in other people's lives. But we don't often immediately go and do it because somehow in the church world, we've trained people that they're totally incompetent to live in on every program we've run. There's a guy in the Bible, he's called Legion. He had hundreds of demons thrown out of him. And Jesus said to him, immediately appointed him to be his evangelist in the region. 
The gifts we need are spiritual gifts, not intellectual gifts. The power we need is spiritual power, not intellectual knowledge. And when we are born again, we're given the Holy Spirit. And to the extent we yield our life to Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit will work through us as we go and use what we've been given for the kingdom. Instead of that, we're not very smart. We don't immediately go. We see ourselves that we're just constantly in need of doing this program and that program and all the rest of the programs. And worse than that, some of us think, well, I'll just bury what Jesus has given me and get on with my life. And sometime later, I'll dig it up again and start using it. But I need to get ready first. I, I, I need to get these things dealt with. I, I need to pay for that. I need to do this. I need to uh, get qualified. I need to get my career on track. I need to get, uh, get all my kids grown up. I need to get them off to university. And one day when I'm 70 and I'm sat in front of the fire and finally I can do it, then I'll dig it up and use what God's given me. Bad move. Really bad move, Jesus is saying. Because if you understood this is about eternity and that I'm coming back and I've given you that to use right now, you would live your life differently. But because you don't understand that, you don't do the things I asked you to do. And you don't use the power and ability and blessings that I gave you to be able to do them. I am absolutely convinced that there are many, if not a large proportion, of the body of Christ who have buried what God gave them and postponed it to another day, thinking it's not important. And Jesus is saying it's really important. So then the master comes back and Jesus is coming back. I believe that the way the world's going, it's likely he's coming back soon. You've heard me say this. I think we only have two directions for this nation now. We have the biggest revival we've ever seen in this nation or Jesus is coming back. Because everything we're doing and all our churchy stuff and all our building of our church empires is not shifting anything. In fact, the proportion of born-again Christians is getting smaller and smaller every year while we congratulate ourselves on how big our churches are. We are we've just missed and lost the plot. And here's the thing. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, it says he settled accounts with them. He's, he actually has a scorecard. Not for salvation. His scorecard has two questions on it. 
Who did you say I am? And what did you do with what I gave you? Two questions. That's all he's going to ask us. And so he comes back and he settles accounts with them. And, and what happens? He says to the first guy, well done, good and faithful servant. And to the second one, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Put your hand up if you want Jesus to say that to you when you stand in front of him. Okay, so we need to learn this and understand this parable. Because we don't want what the other guy got. Anybody want that one? So we want the well done, good and faithful servant. I want you to notice two things about this. The first thing is that he rewards them for what they did with what he gave them. But as long as they did something with what he gave them, they all get the same reward. Yes, he got five and he doubled it to ten. But what he actually says is that his reward, well done, good and faithful servant, is to enter into the joy of his master. And he doesn't tell you how many cities they get appointed over. They all get appointed over cities. They're all given authority. They're all given rewards. And that bit's not proportional to how much they started with. What's what, what it's measured by is what did you do with what I gave you? And so that's the first thing. But the second thing is this. When he says, well done, now listen, and I'm not... I'm not meaning to upset people, but I might do. Is he li listen to what he didn't say. He didn't say well understood. He didn't say well intentioned. He didn't say well prayed about. He didn't say, well learned those verses. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you did what I asked you to do. And then we've got the other guy. The guy with a million pounds. And Jesus doesn't say to him, well done, good and faithful servant. He effectively says, you wasted your life. You wasted the life I gave you. And you know what? Most people will respond to that now by saying, it's not your life, Jesus, it's mine. I was just doing life. I was just getting on with my life. And Jesus says, no, you wasted it. Well, how did I waste my life, Jesus? Well, you forgot what this is all about. You see, 
when I saved you, and you, may, you, you, you came to me and said, I want salvation, Jesus. You did two things. You believed with your heart and you confessed with your mouth. And this is what you believed. You believed that you trust me for your salvation and you made me Lord of your life. Didn't you? So don't use the answer, it's my life. Because when you were born again, you died. This is not your life. And I know that's a hard and unpopular thing to say, but this is not your life. Jesus bought your life by dying for you. And you gave him it, your, your rotten, messed up life, and you gave him it for his life so that you could have eternity living with him in glory. But it's not your life. So with revelation comes responsibility, and that responsibility is to live your life for him, not you. I preached a, a few months ago on a really unpopular word in the Bible called humility. There's a, another unpopular concept in the Bible which is nevertheless true and that's called dying to self and whenever you talk about that people say but I, Jesus loves me he, he, he's, he's absolutely crazy about me he, he's, not, he's not there doing a downer on me telling me that I'm doing all these wrong things he, he just loves me Absolutely. His love for you is not in question. He offered you salvation. He died to make salvation possible. That's how much he loves you. The question is, how much do you love him? And did you really make him Lord of your life? And if so, when did you take it back? They're the questions. You know, I think it's astonishing some of the stuff that people believe is actually in the Bible. There's, there's a lot of people, and I, I know a lot of them, and they're really good friends. And they'll look at some verses in the Bible, and they'll pick one, and it's usually John 16. Chapter 16, and, and in there it says that the Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin. Ah, there you are, Mark, you see. The Holy Spirit, he just, he came to convict the world of sin. But I'm not, I'm not in the world, I'm a believer. The world is all them unbelievers. Correct. Absolutely correct. Brilliant, brilliant, technically correct exposition of that verse. The question is, is that all the Holy Spirit came to do? Is that verse totally comprehensive about the Holy Spirit? Well, no, it doesn't tell you in that verse, for instance, that the Holy Spirit's a comforter. He's a counsellor. He came to, uh, 
to uh, teach you God's word, to, to show you all the things Jesus wanted to do, to take of what is Jesus's and show you what to do, to empower you to live the life. He doesn't say any of that. So when we say that, yes, the Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin. You cannot answer from that verse that the Holy Spirit doesn't convict believers. Because if that's your conclusion, and I'll tell you it is, it's a conclusion of an increasingly large number of believers because they believe what people say instead of what the Word says. And they quote it again and again on Facebook. The number of times I see come up on Facebook that verse and people say, God will never point out my faults. The Holy Spirit won't point out my faults. In fact, there's so many really well-known preachers who talk about that. One of them actually says this, the Holy Spirit will never tell you what you're doing wrong and he will never point out your faults. Well, there's a real problem with that. Because that would mean the Holy Spirit was completely opposed to Jesus. Because Jesus wrote a let letters to seven churches and pointed out all their faults. And the Apostle Paul writes letters to churches, completely in disagreement with the Holy Spirit, telling those churches what they're doing wrong and putting it back on track. The level of understanding of the word of God has gone out of the window of our desire for comfort and to be made happy with no change in our lives. And it's a problem. It's a real problem. And some of you are sitting there and going, Mark's wrong because this preacher that I follow says otherwise. I went to a conference on this. Tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why Jesus would do the opposite of what you're telling me the Holy Spirit would do. Tell me why Paul would do the opposite. Tell me why James would do the opposite. Tell me why at the end of this, Jesus would say, if you are like this guy, that's your result. Why not just tell him, pat him on the head and say, try better next time. You just didn't realize who you were inside. Why not do that? Because it's not true. We're meant to use the salvation we've been given. So when Jesus asks us to give, we give. When Jesus asks us to love, we love. When Jesus asks us to lay down our lives, we lay down our lives. When Jesus asks us to talk to people and tell people about the one we say we love, we tell them about him. We live for him. It's about him. You see, Jesus here is inviting people into his joy and his happiness. And we want to go into his joy and in his happiness believing that nothing needs to change around here. And we've got a grieving nation right now where the message of hope and life and eternal life is not being heard. 
because we think it's okay to do nothing with what we've been given. And we thought somehow this gospel was all about me and me being good and me feeling right about myself and me feeling great about myself and me feeling never tired and never worn out and never anything else. We just rest. That's really nice, but where do you get it from in the scriptures? Because if that's true, then the Apostle Paul shouldn't have gone marching around the world and been murdered for what he believed. Because that's uncomfortable. We have just got like so much. I get that we're all tired. I get that we're worn out. But why don't we start realizing it's the devil that's wearing us down and start getting our energy and our life from the power of the Holy Spirit in the secret place? Because I'm too tired for the secret place. That is not the right answer. And I understand it. The devil has done this brilliant job. He's made us all so busy and all so tired that we can say, it's okay for you, Mark, to say these things, but you don't understand how tired and worn out I am. That's not true. I was talking to Esther on WhatsApp yesterday, and Paul's flown off to America. I know from doing that for years, I know from doing six 15-hour days how exhausting that is week after week. It's not glamorous being on airplanes all the time. It's physically exhausting. It destroys your body. And the only respite you get is to sit in some crummy hotel room that you've paid over the odds for because the bed's better. It's just tiring. I get it. But somehow, we have to recognize that that's not the life that God wants. And the answer isn't to drop out of that life. The answer is to actually say, Saying I don't have enough time for God can't be the right answer. Now, I don't know how you solve that. I know how I solve it for me. What I used to do when I, used to, when I was at Deloitte is I used to take the kids to school. I used to queue in the traffic and I used to have my worship things on, much to the protests of the kids, in the car. I'd, I'd sit in the traffic, I'd drop the kids... And in between dropping the kids and going into the office, I'd go to the coffee shop on Hills Road and I'd sit there, I'd open my Bible and I'd ask the Holy Spirit to come. And I wouldn't go in the office until I'd met with Jesus. And that's how I did it. And ever since then, because I'm probably a bit OCD on these things, I get up at six o'clock in the morning and I go to a coffee shop. And that's why I meet Jesus. Because it really is all about him. So I don't want to be somebody who didn't do what Jesus asked me to do. I, I don't want to be somebody who wastes what the Holy Spirit's given me. And I'm imperfect at it. And 
I don't know how all this works because it's sometimes really difficult to get that from all the different opinions that you can read from believers. So when you're looking for somebody to lead you and guide you, sometimes you end up just more confused. And so I have to come back to these two things. The word of God and time with the Holy Spirit. And just trust that even though I don't know and I can't find out how to move forward, that he's got it and he'll show me. Because just like the Queen and just like generations that have gone before us, I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear Jesus say, you didn't do what I asked you to do. Because you didn't really realize that eternity's hanging on this. And I want to bless you. I want to point you over cities. I want to point you over nations. So, I need you to stand up and be counted. If you don't know the saviour I'm talking about, the one who rescues us from the destiny that that third guy ended up with, the one who offers life, eternal life, the one who offers to bless you, the one who offers to empower you, the one who offers to change your life, give you purpose and give you a destiny and take all that garbage that you've been carrying for all these years. I want you to pray this with me. Well, everybody shut their eyes. No looking round. And we're just going to pray this. Jesus. You just say it in your head. You don't have to say it out loud. Jesus. I know that you're coming back. I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But I haven't been following you. I don't really know you. So I'm asking you to forgive me of all the stuff that I've done wrong. I'm asking you to come into my life. And I give you permission to change my heart. I ask that I would be born again by your spirit. And that I would have eternal life to know you. To have a real relationship with you. So I ask you Jesus. To save me right now. And I ask you Jesus to stir in me the desire to live for you and make you Lord of my life. Keep everybody, keep their eyes closed.
Amen. Keep your eyes closed. So if you said that prayer, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm not going to ask you to come out to the front or stand up or anything. But if you said that prayer, I just want you to put your hand up now so that I can, I can see. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Praise you. All glory to you. Let's stand. Jesus, we thank you, we praise you, we glorify you. Holy Spirit, I, would, I ask that you would make Jesus increasingly real to us in this fellowship. Yeah. That we would see a, a fresh fire sweep through our lives. That you would ignite fading embers, and set alight that which has never been set alight. Holy Spirit, we need a fresh move of your Spirit. I'm asking you to do that here. In each life here. And so we surrender our lives to you anew, afresh and ask you to move with your spirit as we seek to follow you and do what you ask for your glory in Jesus name Amen Amen